I hate doing this bit, but the thing is, I've got a friend called Mary, and she's written loads of books, and she said to me, Jeannie, wherever you go, tell people about your books. I said, oh, I can't do that, it's awful, you know. It sounds terrible telling people about your books. So she said, what do you write the books for? So I said, because I want you to see people get to know Jesus more, you know, to get healed up, get closer to him. She said, well, tell them about the books, because otherwise they won't know what they're about, will they? So I said, fair enough, okay, I will. So here we go. So the first one I wrote, which is the name of this conference, is Let the Healing Begin. They've all got a heart on them, okay? So they'll find them in the foyer later. Um, and um, this one I wrote because I started doing a course in our church for people um, to receive healing and freedom from past hurts. And so some of it is my story of Jesus bringing healing to me. And some of it is uh, stories of other people I've ministered to over the last 30, 35 years. And some of it is Jesus bringing healing to people in the Bible. But as you're going along, there's prayers throughout the chapters. And there's also, at the end of every chapter, there's some exercises. So this book is a bit like, you know when you go to physio and you have physiotherapy, there's no point in you going there unless you do the exercises. There's no point at all. And it's a bit like that with this book. If you don't do the prayers as you're going along as well and doing the exercises, there's no point really. But I just wanted you to tell you about that one, okay? So that's called Let the Healing Begin. The next one I wrote was called Encounter the Holy Spirit because I didn't found, find a book that wasn't very academic, academic, like lots of books are about the Holy Spirit. And this was more um, easy read, and uh, some of it is about, obviously, encountering the Holy Spirit, how we can encounter him, how we can be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, and how we can receive gifts from the Holy Spirit, and also use those gifts, and how we can grow in them. And then there's some chapters about some of the the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we use in prayer ministry and everywhere, actually. And then the last chapter is about um, prayer ministry, just a model of prayer ministry. And then this one, it's the last one I've, ri I've written so far, but I've been trying to write another one for about five years. I'm not great at writing books because it takes me forever. And so this one's called Our Hands, His Healing, and this is a practical guide to prayer ministry and inner healing. Not that I'm an authority on that, but it's just my experience of doing that for the last 30 years. And so there's, um, it's got a very extensive um, index because I wanted people to be able to use it over a period of time, and if they wanted to look up particular things, they'd find it easy to find them. So there's a model of ministry and also model of um, pastoral prayer ministry, seeing somebody for, say, um, six weeks, something like that, six sessions. So if you want to just have a look at them outside, you know, there's no obligation to buy them. You might want to buy, you know, things are expensive nowadays, share one with somebody or something like that. But anyway, so let's just, um, just as we start, let's just call out what our names are, because I don't know you. My name's Jeannie haven't got a clue what your names are. So after the count of three, if we all shout out what our name is, we'll all be introduced, won't we? <laughs> so, one, two, three. Brilliant, and I know this guy here is Gary. He's a lovely surprise, he's from our church, and he's come to sit next to us, which is lovely. Thanks for coming, Gary. There's nobody else from our church, is there? No, okay. So you've done amazing getting here, I tell you, because we had to come all the way by taxi because there's no trains where I live. So um, if anybody struggled to get here, um, well done, you did it. Um, anyway, let's pray, shall we? I'm just going to start. Oh, I just wanted to quickly tell you, I have a website called Our Hands His Healing, which is the same title as one of the books, .co.uk, and on there there's lots of worksheets which you might find helpful. Um, for yourself or for somebody else, and they're free print out, print off, you know. So I just thought I'd tell you about that. It's a resource uh, website. Anyway, let's just let's just be still, shall we? We've all rushed about this morning, probably rushed about all week. Just be still. And just invite the Holy Spirit to come. Just invite him. Holy Spirit, dear Holy Spirit, just invite you to come, Lord. Just come in this place. Come and meet with each one of us, Lord. Just bring to him now just anything of the week or anything of today that's been a struggle. 
just to bring it to Jesus at the cross, standing at the cross. And just let go of anything that might get in the way. In Revelation, it says, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And he comes by invitation. So in our mind's eye, just go to the door of this place where you've just come in, into this room. Just go to the door and just open the door to him and invite him to come in. Come and be with you. To sit with you. He wants to. He wants to come. Just make him welcome. He's here for you. He's here for me. Thank you, Lord. Just enjoy him. Thank you. Thank you, dear Holy Spirit. So welcome. Amen. Just let's cross our arms. Just cross your arms. Now just look down and see what, which arm's on the top. Now put your arms by your sides. And now cross your arms again, using the other arm on top. Oh, use the other arm on top. Oh, some are struggling. Some of you might find that quite comfortable, but some might not. Just feel the feelings. What are the feelings? Anybody think it's a bit weird to put your other arm on top instead of the one you've already got? Put your hand up. Do you like? Do you feel it's a bit weird? Does it feel a bit strange? Does it feel a bit uncomfortable? Would you feel uncomfortable sitting a bit like that? Well, this is a very loose link, but this is how it feels sometimes when God's bringing in a healing, when he's healing stuff inside us from the past. It doesn't feel comfortable. It's not pleasant. Now, this might be a bit early in the day to think of such a thing, but I want you to think about the last time you vomited. Just think about the last time you vomited. It's the place we never want to go to, isn't it? We just don't like it. It's horrible. It's disgusting. I don't know about you, but I lay in bed for hours, struggling, trying to keep it down, you know, thinking, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. It's horrible. And we fight and we fight. And, and it's so horrible until we get to that moment and it's the point of no return, isn't it? And you've got to do the runner, you know, you've got to run to the toilet. And I don't know about you, but I get in there and I'm thinking to myself, I hope that toilet's clean. I can't remember. When did I clean it? When did I clean it? And then suddenly it's the terrible part, the bit you didn't want to do, and it all starts coming out. And we don't like it because we're not in control, number one. And it just feels terrible. But actually, that relief afterwards is like nothing else on earth, isn't it? I don't know about you, but, you know, my eyes start watering with that relief of it's over, it's over, you know, and I battled to keep it in. And you think, why did I spend three hours, you know, of my life trying to keep that down and keep that in? But sometimes that's just like our inner pain. It's like that. We, it's much better out than in, but we don't like, we don't like it coming up, you know. We, we fight, we do anything so that that won't happen. And I think one of the things is that losing control. It's scary. We might lose control. And getting healed up can feel uncomfortable and restless. And you might feel a little bit like that during the day today, but don't worry about that. You know, it says, <clears throat> when you think about it, in a hospital, you know, if you can't bleed in a hospital, where can you bleed? And if you can't cry in church, where can you cry? You know, and it's okay. It's okay. But let's just give each other permission just at the start of the day, and put our hand up if we're giving permission for other people here to cry if they want to today, to express anything they want to in this place. This is a safe place. This is a safe place to do that. The Lord is here. And we have to choose sometimes, you know, am I going to go with this? And you might find that today, you might start finding you'll get a little bit churned up. And you can either choose to go with it, or you can bury it. But let's face it, you've probably been burying it for a long time, because often there's stuff inside us, and it's been going on for a long time, and we've been pushing it down, and we've been pushing it down. But most of us would say we want to get healed up, we want to be whole, but we don't like the process. 
It's like vomiting. It's not pleasant. But it's okay, because God's in control. When we worry about not being in control, the good news is he is in control. A friend of mine, um, Mary, she write, she's written loads of books, Mary Pictures, and she says you have to feel to heal. That's really hard from somebody from Essex, I have to tell you, from Dagnum. But posh people say feel to heal. That's how she says it anyway. And so we have to feel it. And often we've not felt those feelings because we're too scared of them. And as Christians, we're really good at giving. We seem to have no problem with that, giving to each other or giving to God. But we're not very good at receiving. We're so not good at receiving, which is such a shame. What stops us? Well, I think that throughout our lives, you know, we'll experience loss and We've all experienced loss. In the, in the whole world, we've experienced loss, you know, from COVID and from the pandemic, you know, alone, without all the losses that we've experienced in our lives, you know, from childhood and growing up. And this can cause us, this loss can cause us a grief inside us that is like a gaping hole for some. And I used to have this gaping hole inside of me and I'm still a work in progress, you know, I'm still not fully healed. And, you know, it takes a lifetime to be whole, to be made whole, to be in heaven. That's when we'll be really whole. But on the way, on the journey, we can start getting healed up. In the space of seven years, I experienced quite a lot of loss when I was young, in my 20s. And our first baby um, was stillborn. And I didn't see her, and I had no idea I was going to give birth to death. And my husband was taken aside um, and told that I was going to have a stillborn baby. We were going to have a stillborn baby. And then they told him to lie to me. And so he lied to me for two days and two nights. Did I get my water? Good. Um, Should never drink a cup of coffee before getting up to speak. Just a little tip. That's the first one of the day. Always gives you a cloggy throat. So um, my husband had to lie to me throughout that time. And when our little baby was born, um, I just remember the doctor coming, his face coming really close to me and saying, um, Mrs. Mrs. Morgan, your baby's dead. And then they all walked out of the room. There were quite a lot of them. I didn't realise it was unusual to have so many people in the room giving birth. And then I just started screaming. You know, I thought I'd done something terrible. I thought I'd done this most awful thing of giving birth to a dead baby. And not only that, but our baby was deformed in some way, so she could never live. And um, this obviously affected me hugely, but I never let any of that pain out because I didn't know how to do that. Because I didn't know anybody else that had a stillborn baby. I only knew people that either had children or they didn't have children. And I felt this oddity that I was in the middle. You know, and there was, there was no way I, I talked about her because I felt disgusted because I, I thought what I've given birth to, you know, I wasn't even allowed to see her. They threw a, a, a cover over her, so I never even saw her. So what it did in my brain was I imagined something so far worse than what she actually looked like. I'm going to tell you some, some good news about that experience at the end um, of the talk. But after this... After the birth of my second child, second child, um, I had what's now called postpartum psychosis, but it wasn't known, um, that word wasn't used at the time. And I had a complete and utter nervous breakdown after the birth of my next child. And I was so scared that I'd kill her in some way, not that I wanted to kill her, but I would accidentally kill her. And so I couldn't take care of her. For the first three weeks of her life, I didn't even touch her. And because I had this nervous breakdown. I couldn't make any choices. If you said to me, would you like a, a hot drink or a cold drink? I didn't know. I, I didn't know anything, you know, and um, it was terrible because I wouldn't take any medication because my mother, I'd grown up with a mother who, um, she had to eventually take medication for her problems and it changed her personality and I didn't want to do that. So I didn't, wouldn't take the medication. So it went on a lot longer than it should have done. And so um, I got through that time, and then um, I had another child. And when our little girl uh, was two years, three months old, uh, she drowned in a pool in our garden, um, which was absolutely devastating, as you could imagine. 
And it was like having part of my body severed. You know, that's how, is the way I would have described it at the time. And I felt so completely robbed. And I had this big aching hole inside of me that I didn't think anything could fill it. And in fact, even six weeks after she died, um, I felt like I had so much love to give. And I, I, we had another child, yes, I had a husband who I loved and I knew loved me. But I felt that I had these arms of love and I didn't know what I could do with that, you know, I couldn't find. So we tried to adopt a baby. Can you think of that? You know, absolutely ridiculous. And of course, they refused um, to let that happen. And um, the way I would describe it, I wasn't a Christian then, and the way I described my own grief at that time was like being down this slimy pit with no way of getting out. It felt all slippery, and every time I tried to climb out of that place, I just couldn't. And I didn't know the God of the slimy pit then, but um, do you know what? What could God do? Did he um, pull me out? Did he rescue me? By this time, I'd... um, as well, I'd started to get to know him. I can't tell you all the story of that. It's in the book, actually. It's quite long, and it's um, lots of supernatural things happened. But did he rescue me? No, he didn't. What happened? Jesus came down into that pit with me, and he placed himself and positioned himself so that I stood on him to climb out. And I actually saw that in my mind's eye. I saw it because I used to get all these pictures. Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit used to reveal Jesus to me in many different ways. And and the Holy Spirit, um, I knew the Holy Spirit before I knew Jesus. If you'd have told me about the Holy Spirit before I became a Christian, but during, after the time our little girl girl died, drowned, I would have said, I know him, because I knew there was something going on that wasn't usual. You know, it was out of the ordinary and it was supernatural. And I could see what he was doing. I didn't realize until a couple of years after becoming a Christian that in the Bible, in Psalm 40, it says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And so in the Bible, Jesus described in Isaiah as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who took up our own griefs and carried our sorrows, Isaiah 53 and before all this happened to me as an adult I already had loads of stuff going on inside me I felt completely insecure I felt inferior I felt um, a complete lack of self-worth and self-esteem from my childhood because I'd grown up with a mother mentally ill in Isaiah 49 14 to 16 it says Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. So I don't know if you know, but God can also mother us. He can also mother us. And my mother was mentally ill. You know, she didn't function well at all. And yet... After becoming a Christian, Jesus started to mother me. Father God started to mother me, and it was wonderful. So my mother was mentally ill from a teenager when she had screaming fits in the street. Um, She bathed in just one inch of water because she had a phobia about water. Um, She had phobias about food. She eventually only ate four foods. Um, That's all she had, and they all were very fastidious, the way they had to be prepared the way she ate them, everything about it. She had no self-worth, no self-esteem. She had panic attacks. She was terrified of so many things. She had um, all sorts of things going on where she would feel the ceiling was coming down on her and the walls were coming in on her. Um, She had acute depression. She took to her bed if anything upset her and we were summoned to her bed to say sorry for trivial things. And she didn't go out anywhere. She had um, agoraphobia severely. And the only place she went out to was mainly, um, the further she went was from the front chair to the to stage here. Um, that's how far she went out to, to the front gate to look out sometimes. And she rarely did that. And she was wholly caught up in her own world. And the whole house revolved around my mum. And I didn't realise, it may sound strange, but you don't, you... What you live with, you don't realise that what you're living with is unusual. And so I didn't realise what an effect that had on me personally. 
And I didn't really realise until I was loads older that she was never actually there for me. And she was what I would now call an emotionally absent parent. So I had lots of quite a lot of things as I grew up, although I didn't realise that. And I became, though, very independent because I had to be. Um, but I was scared most of my life. And I've seen so much healing, you know, in my life, but I know there's still more. And I want it. I want to be whole. You know, I want to be whole. And I so want other people to be whole because I've seen Jesus do so much in my life with um, loads of other things I haven't even told you about that have happened since that time, those times I've told you. Um, that I know he's brought healing and he's still bringing healing. And my husband died um, five years ago. So much healing's been happening already. I'm still grieving, you know. And um, we're all the walking wounded in some way, you know. We're all like that. And, um, but yeah, I want the whole of me. I want my body, you know, my emotions, my thoughts, my memories. I want healing of all these different things. And so I pursue that. I was healed I am being healed, and I will be healed. And that's where we should be, you know, that's where we should be, wanting that and going for it. In the message, Thessalonians 5.23, it says, May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, body, and keep you fit for the coming of our Master Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. I love that. I love it when it's really strong. I love it when it's really firm because I'm going to say, yes, you know, yes, he can do it. And he wants to do it. He doesn't want to leave us broken like we are. I was so broken when I became a Christian. I didn't know that I was a sinner for a year. That might sound really strange to you if you became a Christian out of knowing that was that for you. But you see, I was so broken that if Jesus had told me that I was a sinner, as well as all the crap that I had inside of me, are we allowed to say crap here? <laughs> Sorry, I've said it, I've said it. It's allowed in our house. So, um, sorry about that and um, I'm not in one way because it actually is that you know, it's disgusting so, um, yeah, so if Jesus had told me that I had that as well you know, as all the other stuff that was going on, I would have completely lost it, the plot, you know and it says in the Bible, you know a bruised reed he will not break a smouldering wick you know, he will not snuff out he won't put it out so he, that's what he did to me and this always gets me that he's so kind. He's so kind. He's so kind. Our God is so kind. Jesus is so kind. And he meets us exactly where we are in our lives. He wants to meet us today exactly where we are. We often, you know, healing is a process. It's called healing. It's called healing, okay? because it's a process, bit by bit, it's a journey. And a miracle is like this, I don't know if you can hear that, not very loud at doing that, click, instant, it's instant a miracle. And what we often do is we pray for healing, we might pray for our own healing, we might pray for somebody else's healing, but our expectation really can be a miracle. We're expecting a miracle, but we're praying for healing. And then when a miracle doesn't take place, we get disappointed and we stop praying. Don't. Don't stop praying. Keep on asking. Keep on asking him to bring healing. We should expect healing because Jesus is our healer. The Holy Spirit is the comforter and counsellor. He's the power from on high. Jesus is our healer. In the Old Testament, God said that he is our healer. I'm your healer, he said. And guess what? He hasn't changed his mind and he hasn't got a bad memory. So we need to keep that in mind. We should expect healing. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. So he can spiritually, actually come back into our yesterdays. He can come and visit that place where we were hurt. He can come and be there with us in it. That's happened to me many times. We can all have lost from the past and be blocking us from receiving what God wants to give us. 
and he wants to give us more, but sometimes our hands are so full of pain we can't receive what he's given us. So let's just pray and speak to Jesus about that now. Let's pray. Jesus, just come to him and choose. If you want to, choose and say to him you want him to have access to anything in your life that you've been pushing down. Just say that in your own way to him. I choose to allow that, Jesus, today for you to come to all the stuff inside of me that I might have been pushing down and not faced. Things I'm frightened to look at. And as far as I am able, he will never take us to a place we're not ready for. As far as I'm able now, I give you permission, Lord, to search me and surface stuff that needs healing today. Just bring it to the surface, Lord. I don't want to keep suffering this same pain. Thank you that you want to do this, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you're my counsellor. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you're my comforter. I want more freedom in my life. Amen. You don't have to say, that's quite a long prayer, but we actually can just say it quick. Please come. Please do it. Please do it now. It's good enough. So things that we've locked away. In Isaiah, this is called being a captive. You know, Jesus said he came to release the prisoners and set the captives free. And some of the things we can still be captive to, and throughout our life we suffer losses and we grieve those losses, but sometimes we don't. And it's not just about somebody dying, you know, although that is huge, obviously. But it's all sorts of losses, and how have we coped with that? I'm just going to list what some of them could be. The obvious one, the death of someone we love. Divorce, maybe, of our parents. Sexual abuse or physical abuse or emotional abuse or neglect, not knowing love, rape, moving house, especially as a child, many times. Fire that destroys part or all of your home. Death of a pet, often that's the first grief we have as a child sometimes. Leaving home to go to university. Our first love breakup, serious illness, parent with terminal illness. A long-term illness with, no, with intense pain, failing our exams. Alcoholic parent, a mentally ill parent, an addicted parent, an absent parent, always working away or emotionally absent. Loss of wealth, close friends moving away, having to be a carer instead of being a child. Excessive bullying, redundancy, engagement breakup, getting divorced. You probably have got even more, you know, to, you could add to that list. Maybe somebody died who you love so much and you didn't say goodbye. But the good news is you can do it today. You can do it today. It's never too late. Years ago, I saw this program on TV called Secret Millionaire. Has anybody seen that program? So put your hand up if you've seen Secret Millionaire. I love that program because... I always cry in it, I don't know about you, but at the end it always makes me cry because people always have life-changing things happening to them. The people that, um, that actually go and give their money are the ones usually that are so affected. And um, I love to see that it changes people as well as giving to people. And years ago I saw that um, this program is about multimillionaires that go undercover and they usually go, and go in to see a charity or they go into a different place and they, they work alongside people and then they pick out certain people that they think deserve a break, deserve a lift up in some way. And so they use their influence to do that as well as their money. And so there was a guy and he wanted to go to see voluntary carers. And so he'd been a carer for his mother who was schizophrenic. And she was two different people, he said. And one of the personalities would hit him all of the time. And he said he remembered most of his childs he spent crying because of his mother. And one day he decided there's no point in crying anymore. No one ever does anything. It doesn't change. And so he shut down all of his emotions and he made a conscious decision and a choice to do that. Now he was a grown man but he admitted he was cut off from his emotions and he worked all the time and he hardly ever saw his four kids or his wife. He was driven by work and success. 
And at the charity, he, said, he met a young girl caring for her mother with motor neuron disease. And this little girl sacrificed all of her, everything of her childhood for her mum. And um, she, before she went to school, she had to do stuff for her mum. When she came home, she had to do stuff for her mum. She had to help her mum, you know, to go to bed and all, everything. And not knowing he was a millionaire, she said to this guy, kids don't want things like money. They want their dad to spend time with them. And at the end of the programme, this guy couldn't stop crying. And for the first time since a child, he cried. He met others who were sacrificially caring and giving. And this man was utterly broken by what he saw with the caring and the loving and the giving that he saw displayed. And the first time, he sobbed and he sobbed and he sobbed, and we saw him sobbing. And most of all, he wanted to help this little child, this little girl who cared for a mum. And it was as if he was giving to her because what he didn't realise was that he was also trying to give to that little boy himself, and he identified with her loss. And so one of the things he did for her was that every weekend he was going to invite her to spend time with his family and to be part of a family and to be blessed by them and to do things with them and to be a child and to play and to do the things that she hadn't had. And you know what? He went home a changed man, that man. I don't know who got the most out of it, but sometimes we can do things like that guy. We can choose to cut off from our feelings about feeling it, and we can make a vow, and a vow is making a choice. And when we make a choice as a child, it goes through right through our adulthood, and we don't realize sometimes why we can't do certain things. I hear people say sometimes to me, I, I don't cry, I never cry, I don't know why I never cry. And I say to them, why don't you just ask Jesus why that is? When did that start? Because usually it's because as a child, if they cried, they got hit more. Or if they, if they cried, no one came anyway. So they made a choice, I'm never going to cry again. And that's what probably this man had done, until he was broken open by this love that he saw displayed. But the good thing is, we can, that can bind us, but we can make an opposite choice. We can say, I don't want that anymore. I want to be able to feel. I want to be able to cry. I want to be able to feel those emotions. And say to Jesus, I'm sorry, Lord, I've done that and I've stopped what you've given me to express things, which is, will help me to bring me healing so that you can come into that space to let out all that stuff. So grief comes when part of our life is lost or taken away or robbed, plans that will never come to pass, things that we can never have again. Some people do things like get drunk or party and or buy lots of stuff to fill that space have an affair or try harder or work longer or even start controlling others or overeating or undereating so that we can feel in control. Although when we think of some things, like for instance as a child I moved house um, from a, a place that felt safe and secure because it was opposite the school and my mum didn't go out anywhere, everybody knew about my mum, so I think they gave me a bit of extra because of that, you know, they were kinder probably in some ways to me because they knew my mum never came to the school to see anything I did or anything like that. And so um, they gave to me in that way. But when we moved house, I moved away from all that to an unfamiliar school when I was 10 and they did all different things, things that I'd never done before, netball and things like that, and, and suddenly I felt different to everybody else. And that might seem, as an adult, we'd look at that and think, that's such a tiny thing. But to that child, that wasn't a tiny thing. To me, as a little girl, that wasn't a tiny thing. And sometimes, things can even start from then. I think I started feeling inferior at that age because I felt so different to everybody else. And that was compounded by my parents both having that too. Um, <clears throat> grief is a normal response to the loss of any significant person, object or opportunity. It can be the loss of so many things. I haven't got time to go into those things because I want to tell you about some other stuff. But we, it can be such a lot of loss in, in all those things that I mentioned. In John 12, 24, it says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. 
but if it dies, it produces many seeds. So we need to allow growth to come from that, growth to come from our losses. Um, I'm not going to say all that because time's rushing on. Okay, we have to start stop at 11.30, is that right? Okay, so I could tell you loads of other stuff, but we haven't got time, okay? I'll leave that to the Lord to tell you. So I just want to tell you a couple of stories, because I always think it's good to hear stories, to tell, hear something of what's happened to somebody, to show how Jesus does bring healing. So it gives us hope, because <laughs> I don't want you to be just finishing with um, this session, just with all that in your head. So um, with my mum, for instance, so I never really ever thought about it, but I never had any sense that my mum loved me, really. You know, my, my dad, I, I was assured of that because he used to hug me and um, he used to tell me stuff like that. But I never had any real assurance of that from my mum. And through various things that I can't go into now, I actually did come to a place where I didn't just hate my mum, but I actually loathed her. Um, and um, so one day, after I became a Christian, um, oh, of, I just need to tell you this little bit. Um, when I was about seven to eight, um, we were walking along the road and I was eating an ice cream with my brother and suddenly she said to me, um, well, you don't think I ever wanted you, do you? She said, we couldn't afford you because my brother was only six months old when she got pregnant with me and she nearly died having me too so um, obviously that was a huge thing for me at the time so um, I was going along in the car one day and suddenly on the radio came this somebody was speaking and they said um, yes and then suddenly my um, my daughter suddenly told me she loved me and she'd never told me that before and it was wonderful and I thought oh nice for you you know and um, so that was that. Next day, I was listening to the radio, um, listening to the TV and watching the TV, and suddenly there was a boy and he was saying to his dad, um, oh, Dad, I love you, Dad. And his dad said, I love you too, son. And I thought, that's nice, that's funny, that's two days running. <laughs> suddenly, there was, I read a book, I was reading a book. Suddenly, this same thing. I love you, I love you, son. I love you, I love you too, you know, from a child to a parent. And I thought, I don't like this, where this is going, you know. Then I read a magazine, and this was like the fourth time. And I thought, no, if you're speaking to me, I can't tell my mum I love her because I don't love her, you know. That would be lying. I'm a Christian, you know. I would be lying to tell my mum I loved her. So I thought, right, we've put a stop to that. Anyway, little did I know, my mum and dad came for a weekend to stay with us. By this time, my mum, uh, because I'd started going out to work, she had to obviously see the doctor and got this thing sorted out so at least she could go out with pills, although she was still scared. So um, she came to our house. So I went for, to church in the morning, went to church in the evening, and then they had communion. So I went forward for communion. And then, you can bet your life, what happened then was suddenly into my head, you need to go now and you need to tell your mum you love her. I said, but I don't. And then I said, I did the deal. You know, you do a deal with God sometimes. I don't suggest it. So I said to him, okay, if you give me your love for her, I'll say it. So I thought, right, it's all in his part now. Nothing to do with me. I said it to him. So I went home. Mum and dad came with me to the station, looked at my mum and I thought, I've got to do it. I've got to do it now. And I thought, but I haven't got any love for her. And I said, I started off, Mum, I know you won't believe this. And I thought, I'm just about to lie now. And then suddenly, from my guts, I, just from inside of me, I said it with love in my voice. And I said, I love you, Mum. And my mum started crying. And I thought, oh, no, I've blooming upset her again now, you know. And so um, she said, I said to your auntie the other day, my genie has never told me she loved me. And then suddenly, from my guts, deep down in my guts, I suddenly started crying and I said to her, what about me? What about me? Why have you never, ever told me that you love me? And she started crying again. She said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I never could. 
I never could do it. I don't know why I could never do it. And she said, of course I love you. She said, of course I love you. You'll always be my baby. I was 40 and I was her baby, you know. And wow, our God did that. I'm getting upset because I'm thinking that how God does these things. How he does that when I loathed her and I hated her. It was later on that I had to go through the process of even forgiving her, which is weird the way God does it sometimes, you know. But I experienced that. I experienced that she loved me. And what I used to do with my mum, when, when I phoned her, because she never phoned me, I would hold the phone like this away. Because we didn't have mobile phones then, it was landline. Hold the phone away. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Put the phone back to the ear. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, right, right. That's how the conversation would go. But what happened changed this time after that experience. I'd put the phone and I'd listen to her. I'd actually listen to her. And I tell you, the day um, she wasn't very ill, she was ill. But one day, she lived like an hour and a half away from me, but one day I felt, I've got to go and see my mum. And so I went and saw my mum, and that actual day, I remember holding her in my arms and praying for her, first time I ever did that. And I felt such compassion for her. I'd forgiven her by that time as well. And that night, in the middle of the night, I got a phone call from my dad to say that she'd died. But God gave me that time, that wonderful time of holding her in my arms and praying for her. Such a privilege to do that. Such a privilege. So I didn't feel guilty. You know, I didn't have any of that. And then this is a um, really quick one. And then I told you about our first little girl. And I felt disgusted by her. Uh, I didn't ever give her a name or anything. We never talked about her. My family, I never talked about her. Um, or they knew that we'd had a, a little girl. That's all they knew. And so one day, when my daughter, my second daughter, was five years old, we were driving along down a country lane. I remember where it was. And she said, Mummy, was I your first baby? Such a strange thing for a five-year-old to ask who had never, never heard anybody else saying anything. And I, I was so shocked. And I said, well, no, darling. Mummy had another baby before you. Mummy, Mummy, I've got a sister. Tell me, tell me about her. So I said, well, she's a little girl. She was born, you know, but she couldn't live. I said, she couldn't live. Um, because there was something badly wrong and so that she couldn't breathe, she couldn't live. And so she said, but mummy, what's her name? What's her name? And I thought, oh my goodness, we never gave her a name because in those days people didn't. And I said, I did have a name in my head and, but I never uttered it, I never thought of it. And I said, her name's Sarah, her name's Sarah. And she went, oh mummy, I've got a sister called Sarah. Oh, mummy, she's with Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? She's with Jesus. Oh, I bet she's playing with Mrs. Edwards' cat. I bet she's loving that. Oh, I bet Jesus is playing with them and they're having such a lovely time. Oh, mummy, I bet Jesus is picking up Sarah. I bet he's putting her on Cassius's back. That was a horse we used to have. And um, I bet they're having such a lovely time. Oh, mummy, I can't wait to go to heaven. I can't wait to be with Jesus. I can't wait to see my sister. And suddenly, in the space of just a few minutes, she made Sarah our family, part of our family. And not only that, but she gave permission for me to talk about Sarah. So that now, when people ask how many children I have, I had another child after that, which I might get around to telling you later in the day, but um, four girls, I always say, four girls, I've got four daughters. And then I say, two of them are here, and two of them are in heaven. You know, that's what I say to people. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. You know, I don't want people to be sorry for me. I just cannot deny my children. And so after that, I went home and I actually started mentioning, oh, I said, I think that was about the time Sarah's born. And they went, who's Sarah? I said, it was our little girl, our firstborn. And I remember one of my relatives saying, oh, what, you gave it a name? And I said, excuse me, she's not an it. I said, she's a little girl, and she's our little girl, and she's called Sarah, and she's with Jesus. And that completely transformed that for me. And I had a dream years later of her, and I saw her. Jesus gave me a spiritual dream, and I saw her, and she had reddish brown hair and very curly. And, um, yeah, I saw her when she was bigger, and him holding her hand, and it was wonderful, and it gave 
be more healing as well inside. So I just wanted to tell you about that. So let's stand, shall we? I'll tell you what we're going to do before we do it. Just be yourself, be normal, put down anything you're holding. And all we're going to do is we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come, okay? He's not scary. He's here anyway. But it's always good to invite him to come. So let's be still. And just so you're not distracted, just, I'll just shut your eyes. And usually I say to people, if I was going to give you a million pounds, a box with a million pounds, you can bet your life you're going to be in an attitude of receiving. But he's so much more than that. And what he wants to give us is so much more than that. So why don't we just be in that attitude of being a receiver? And so, Holy Spirit, please come. Please come with the healing power of Jesus. Jesus, our healer, please come. We invite you, Lord. You're so welcome. And I ask you just come, Lord, right to that place that needs healing right now. That place that might have been churned up a bit. If we never had a voice as a child, Lord. If we had loss. If we made a vow about our emotions. I will never. I will always. We never knew we were loved. Just come into our losses, Lord. Come into our losses. Don't be afraid. He's here. He's here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Don't try. Don't pray right now. Don't pray. Just let him come. Don't pray. When we're praying, we're doing. When we're praying, we're giving. He's the giver. Just receive. Come into my heart, Lord. Any place that hurts, you do it, Lord. You do it. Do it your way. Now just keep with what he's doing. Keep with what he's doing. If anybody feels like in their chest it just feels a bit tight, or it just feels, you can feel something in your stomach where it's just churning, or it's Something rising. If that's you, why don't you just come out to the front? It's a safe place. If the team could just start coming. Just come and face the front to just be in a place. Just spread out along here. Do you want to come along here? Just come along here. Come along here. This is a safe place. This is a safe place. Just keep with what God's doing in you. It might be that suddenly your head might feel a bit weird. It might feel a bit strange in your head. Not quite sure what's going on. Some of you might just be, you just feel in your throat, it feels a little bit tight. There's a lot of people here. Just spread out. Could you spread out, ministry team? The team, could you just spread out so there's a lot of room between you? It's like, just spread out. We've got lots of people to pray and to minister. If you'd like to come, why don't you just come now? Don't be afraid to come. Don't be afraid to come. If this is you, if you've got, you feel that there's something rising, you really want somebody to lay hands on you. This is the laying on of hands. If you don't want somebody to lay hands, just come forward. People on the team, don't have to hold people. We don't hold people. Have to hold people. Just lay a hand gently on. Holy Spirit, just come, Lord. Just come. Just come forward. There's lots of people here willing to minister to you. Just come, don't be afraid. Just lay a hand gently on. Just more, Lord, we just ask for more. Just keep coming, don't be scared. This is a place for us, this is a time for us. He's here, he wants to bring healing. Lord, just come now, Lord. Come to that pain, Lord, come to that pain where we've been pushing it down all these years, Lord. Maybe you don't even know what it is. That's okay. It's okay if you don't know what it is. It's okay. Just come anyway. This is an opportunity for you. 
just come. Just let him do it. We don't have to, we don't have to do any wordy prayers. We're just asking the power of the Lord to come right into your mind, right into your emotions now, right into your body. Lord, come. Just bring release now, Lord. Bring your release. Bring your release. Just let him do it. Just let him do it. Just let Jesus do it. We don't need to tell somebody. At this point, you don't have to tell somebody anything if you don't want to tell them. Just let Jesus do it. You do it, Lord. More, Lord. More of you. There's some other people standing up here who need prayer. If any team not praying, there's some people along here. You got any more people to pray? No. Do you put your hands on both of them? That's great. More, Lord. You do it, Lord. Just let him do it. Let him do it. Bring release now, Lord. We ask for your release. Lord, I ask now that you just bring, Lord, any of that where, Lord, we've not grieved, Lord, when that grief, Lord, is like a big solid lump inside of us, Lord, and we've never dared to let it come. This is safe. This is safe. More, Lord. More. There's still time. You can come. We'll get round to you. We'll get round to you, okay? Just keep coming. It's not that there's something special at the front here. It's more when we step out of the place where we're standing, where the chair is, that's our little safety blanket, if you like. When we come forward, we're saying, I want this. I want this. I want you to bring healing, Lord. I want you to release this pain. And so, Lord, I ask now that you just bring that freedom and that pain, Lord, in our mind, Lord, where everything just goes round and round in a circle. Lord, I ask now that you'd break the power, Lord, of, of just depression, Lord, any depression in the room, where that's pushed us down, Lord, pushed us into a cave. And just call you out of that cave now in the name of Jesus. Just come out now. Just come out into a spacious place. Come out into a spacious place. You're safe with him. You're safe with him. You're safe. Come into his arms. Just come into his arms. Thank you, Lord.